Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe for your free 30-day trial. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Hey, like a surgeon. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast from filmstage.com. I, of course, am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Surgery is the new sex. That is what I have been told today. And we also have Bill Graham. I'll keep all my organs, thank you. All of them? Even the ones that might spontaneously Yeah, no, come, but I want them. have any reason to be there? All right, interesting. I, I want them. I keep them. Good to know where everyone is uh, falling on this spectrum. With us today to talk about the newest film from David Cronenberg, Crimes of the Future, it's Noah Gattel. Hey, everybody. What is up, Noah? How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on the choice of intro music. That could not be more apropos. It was literally, there were no other choices. Um, Also, I thought you were going to say congratulations for having me. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, you were about to like become my favorite guest ever. Oh damn. All right, I'm saving that for the next one now. Thank you. Okay. You yeah, you keep that in your pocket. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell the producer. Can we cut that? Can we cut that so <laughs> who okay, who who is singing that song? Is that Weird, Weird Al? Al? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's be real. Oh, I mean, should we cover I, the Weird Al biopic? Is Oh, uh, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe? Radcliffe? Yeah. Sure. Jack that Daniel happening? Radcliffe. I think it's coming out in September. Killer. Uh, so maybe, yeah, I'm down with that. Um, anyway, uh, Noah, would you like to introduce yourself to our listening audience? Oh, sure. Let's see. I'm Noah Gattel. I'm film critic, uh, occasional TV critic. One time I wrote an article about baseball. <laughs> um, and I can be found uh, at Washington City Paper. I used to live in D.C. and I still write for them. I write for a paper called The Rye Record in a town I used to go to high school in. And then I am also seen at various places like The Guardian and The Ringer. And uh, there's a lot of old articles of mine up at The Atlantic. You can peruse those at your leisure. But I'm most often found on Twitter where I'm uh, trying out ideas for articles to see how popular they are before I write them. All right. Good plan. Yeah. Sending up that test balloon. All right. And as I said, we are here today to talk about the newest film from writer-director David Cronenberg, and that is Crimes of the Future. It's out in theaters now, so you can check it out. Um, Coming off of a two-week break while I was at the beach with my family, Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, It is raining here, and that is just uh, Maryland's way of welcoming me home, I guess. And yeah, the usual stuff before we begin. Find us on Twitter, uh, at Film State Show, Facebook, The Film State Show, emails, podcast at filmstage.com, and give us a comment and reading on iTunes. And of course, go to patreon.com slash The Film Stage Show to become a patron for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our super cool Slack channel, and you help us to continue to put on this show. And we are also, of course, brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. And I'd really like to introduce you 
to the movie podcast, Movie's acclaimed audio documentary series, Movie Podcast, returns this summer for its second season. This time, the focus is on movie theaters, because in a time when too many cinemas are shutting down, we think it's time to lift them up. Titled Only in Theaters, the new season will tell surprising stories of individual movie theaters that had a huge impact on film history, and in some cases, history in general. All that's available on the Movie Podcast, which you can find wherever great podcasts are caught. And of course, don't forget that you get a free 30-day trial of movie by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. And one of the movies that they have on their platform right now that I wanted to highlight for us is the 2014 film White God. A pack of dogs runs wild through the streets of Budapest in this captivating revenge parable, an idiosyncratic allegory on authority, rebellion, power, and protest. Winner of the Uncertain Regard Prize at the Cannes Film Festival, White God is an astonishing dystopic vision. And uh, I've wanted to watch this for a long time, and I've never had the chance. And I am looking forward to catching it. Now that it is on movie, as a person who tends to enjoy dogs more than people, I feel like this movie is probably right up my alley. Hey, can I say that's a good movie? Uh, I'm in my spare time. I'm an animal rights guy. I, I watched that movie. I interviewed the filmmakers. That's a good movie to talk about if you're into animals. So awesome. you can have me back on when you do the the White God episode. <laughs> when that becomes our classic episode. Well, in two years, we could do a 10 year retrospective on it. So I'm here. Yeah. So we'll put that in the books. Um, put that in the books. I'm mentally archiving it. Excellent. Um, as uh, for Mubi, as I said earlier, you can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash filmstage. That's M-U-B-I.com slash F-I-L-M-S-T-A-G-E for a whole month of great cinema for free. And that's about it. Uh, unless anyone has any crazy awesome stuff they'd like to talk about before we begin. We can jump straight into our review of Crimes of the Future. Nothing uh, crazy awesome. Sweet. This, I'm sorry that I said sweet when you said nothing crazy awesome, because that makes it sound like I'm glad that you're not having <laughs> Well, you probably are. <laughs> Misery loves company. Uh, I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great too. I don't know I'm why. Fucking fantastic. <laughs> I just came back from vacation. I got to mash my newest whiskey today. I'm, uh, Did you see any uh, little boys eating plastic on the beach? What? You know, probably. Like, As is in the first scene of Crimes of the Future. Anybody? Oh. Mm. Robin uh. is just like, wow, what are we looking for? <laughs> I was like, like little boy, like what? Yeah, I, yeah, I saw that movie several weeks ago. You, I was the, trying to the, transition into a review of the film. There, the second <laughs> a grown man asks another grown man, "Did you see any little boys?" Your brain just shuts down, and you start. Yeah, it just shut down. Is, so you can call nine one one. Yeah, this boy. movie made me sick. That interesting. I'm looking forward to talking about this movie. Um, and again, that movie is Crimes of the Future from writer director David Cronenberg. This movie stars Viggo Mortensen, Lea Sadu, and Kristen Stewart. And it is, uh, what do I even say? <laughs> I'm just gonna, God, I'm reading the IMDb thing now because it's usually pretty funny uh, to read. I guess this is as close as we're ever going to get. 
Humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations with his partner Caprice Saul Tenser, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances. Like, I guess that's fine enough. (laughs) That's better than I was going to do. So thank you, IMDb. And of course, here now is the trailer. I can feel you pulling things around in there. It's a brand new organ. Never before seen. We've all felt that the body was empty. Empty of meaning. And we've wanted to confirm that. So that we could fill it with meaning. Alright, so that is the beginning of the trailer for Crimes of the Future. And we are here to talk about it. So let's begin... And, of course, this is a no spoilers, moving into spoilers later, even though I don't even know. I don't even know what you could say to spoil this movie. But, it, yeah, it's not exactly like there's some plot in it, but it's not really like a plot driven movie. And, uh, you know, much of the imagery is, uh, you know, it's just some exciting imagery towards the end that we may want to talk about. So I don't know how we're going to yeah. handle so, this. I mean, we'll just we'll go like high level general. What would you tell a friend at a bar stuff, you know, as far mm. as how you like it? And then we'll pretty much immediately say like, all right, now we're going to talk specifics. <laughs> and of course, we begin with our guest. So, Noah, what are your high level nutshell thoughts on Crimes of the Future? Well, no, no spoiler, but I do want to say that the first scene does include a young boy on a beach who eats plastic. And that was not something that came out of my imagination, but is actually in the movie. And I want to start with that and make that really clear. Now, uh, I wanted to tell a quick story because I saw this movie at the New York premiere and there was a young couple sitting next to me. I was there alone and there's no cell service in the Walter Reed Theater, which is really cool. So I was, of course, eavesdropping on them. And this couple had not been dating for very long, it seemed like. And it also seemed like they hadn't seen each other in a few days. So they were catching up and it was real cute. And then the girl says to the guy, so what's this movie all about? And he didn't say much, but he did ask, he did ask her, have you ever seen a Cronenberg film before? And she was like, uh, I don't think so. And she clearly didn't know who he was. Uh, and then she really didn't know what the movie was because she saw Kristen Stewart waiting in the wings to go introduce the film. And she was like, oh, my God, is that Kristen Stewart? So. I was thinking about her and about them a little bit while I was watching the movie, because a, do we think they're still together after that experience? Like (laughs) what was the fallout from him springing this insane fucking movie on them? But I also thought about what kind of experience this movie is for somebody who has no familiarity with Cronenberg at all, because I really like this movie a lot. I don't, I don't think it's perfect, but I like its imperfections too. But part of its beauty for me is how it fits into his filmography. And it really moves me how this guy is still hammering the same nail over and over so long into his life and his career and how his themes continue to evolve. You know, this is a movie about a lot of things, but I think one of them is that it's about filmmaking and it's specifically about Cronenberg kind of you know, reckoning with where he is at his stage in his career and where he fits into this crumbling shell of a world that we're in. And I don't know if any of that really comes through if you don't know anything about his work. And one thing I'm pretty sure of is that this movie doesn't really succeed in making you care about the characters and what happens to them, if he's even trying to. But I know that for a lot of moviegoers, that's kind of the only thing that matters when they're watching a movie. 
So personally, my experience in the movie was that I was super moved to see him at 79 years old, continuing to explore these perversions that he's explored since the mid 70s. But I do still think about that young woman and wondering, like, is this movie her entry into a weird and wonderful world or is it just a kind of striking but muddled mess of a film? And as much as I liked it, I'm still sort of grappling with all that myself. All right. Robin Barr. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. Uh, It's a movie that I feel like I I dug. I mean, as I was watching it, I was like more intellectually stimulated than I was anticipating. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, all movies are dumb or anything, but it's been a long time since I actually watched a movie that made me... uh, that made me really think about its concepts uh, because it was just something I had never really encountered before. Like the metaphors it uses, the, the, you know, dystopian speculation it engages with. It's just not something I ever considered. Um, And it's a movie about art and like the way we fill us, the way that we philosophize art. And it's just, it's like a rare movie that, you know, there are entertaining aspects, but also I was like, oh, this is kind of like dense in some ways. Um, so I actually, I, I respect it and I appreciate it because it pushed me out of my comfort. I don't even say comfort zone. It pushed me out of like the, the boundaries that I typically engage in movies or within, I, you know what I'm saying? Um, I thought it was kind of interesting what you were saying. Noah about how this is like Cronenberg kind of wrestling with his career, especially at uh, nearly 80 years old. And one thing I thought was pretty interesting about the movie is that it, it does, it seems to play with things that are not really relevant right now. Like the ideas that it pokes at, which, which both made it interesting to me, as I just said, but also it feels like something that should have been released, you know, 25 or 30 years ago and it turns out in fact that these the script i think was completed like a little bit after crash came out so there's kind of that like vibe of this would have maybe hit a little bit harder in 2000 um or like around when it was supposed to come out or when he was initially thinking about the movie uh but i still think it you know makes sense in in this day and age um and there's a lot more i do want to talk about in terms of the the performances the costuming um, the the visceral reactions because I think that there's a lot here that's might you might want to consider typically gory or typically Cronenbergian in terms of like the quote unquote body horror and organs and all that kind of stuff. But that wasn't the thing that grossed me out the most. I would say the thing that grossed me out that I just felt like my stomach churning while watching was anything related to eating in this movie. Like eating is. A motif and it's just every time somebody eating shoves something in their face not eating whatever i mean not even just i don't mean eating plastics as you said like that was gross but it wasn't like as gross to me as watching leia's to do just like gob down some eggs like that was just grossing me out and then watching um vigo mortensen sitting in that like jerking chair I think part of it is I was watching this movie when I was having menstrual cramps because I was just like, fuck, like this is 
I, this is like worse than smell vision It was just awful. Well, it made those purple plastic bars look pretty good, didn't it? Like compared to the disgusting process. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> they look tasty. Because yeah, uh, so it's it like it, a candy bar versus getting batted around by some sort of weird stick bug while you're trying to choke <laughs> down some potatoes. No competition there. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a movie that has a sort of sensorial aspect and an intellectual aspect that I really thought was interesting, but is also incredibly flawed and a little bit boring. And I didn't mind that it ended just as it was sort of getting going because I was like, OK, I've had enough of this world. Um, so, yeah, it, it's solid for me. Definitely. All right. Bill Graham. Um, so I watched this in two parts uh, and. I I still don't know quite what to make out of it. Um, I found the second half more interesting than the first half. I found mm-hmm. all of the once it actually started to explore the world and once it started to actually explore the intrigue going on, I was a lot more invested. When it was kind of standoffish and kind of at arm's length, I was I was very much just like, okay, this is weird, but like what else am I getting out of it? Um, and it, it kind of opens up at the, towards the end. Um, and then it just fucking ends. So (laughs) I don't, I, I don't really know what to really make of that. Um, I don't know what to make of, of where this film is kind of leading the audience. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to have a discussion. Um, if you're talking about shock and awe, um, I don't know. I mean, it's not that crazy to see someone cut open like this. So, uh, not, not really, not really doing that for me. So, uh, but otherwise, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I definitely think Vigo is doing his best. Uh, he certainly has, uh, like me, uh, seems to have a sore throat a lot of the time. Uh, and I'm not sure why, uh, maybe because, uh, he's got to sit on this goofy chair to feed himself. Who knows? Um, I don't know. I still don't know what the fuck that's all about. Uh, but, uh, yeah, still looking forward to, uh, to talking about it. I, so I watched this at the distillery. Um, yes, we are we are once again in the land of Brian watching movies at the distillery. Um, I have that letterbox list. I will be adding this movie to it. Um, I will say, uh, so my partner and I have desks on opposing walls so that as we are working, we have our backs to one another. But we do occasionally just spin around and say, like, hey man, do you have like the thing? Do you know, do you remember where we put the whatever? And the entire time I was watching this movie, I was like, don't turn around. Never turn around. Like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but if he turns around, I'm not going to be able to explain it. Um, but other than that general concern about, like, what am I going to say if he turns around and sees, like, a naked woman sitting inside of what looks to be the carapace of a large beetle, um, I, I didn't really have a lot of investment or interest or interaction with this movie on on any level. There, there was like a lot of talk about like people like getting nauseous or like leaving theaters or throwing up or fainting. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I had a stronger response to Existence or Naked Lunch in terms of uh, like, you know, crazy Cronenberg stuff. Um, this movie just it never really. It never really touched me in that way. It never really got me anywhere. And I, I kept I kept kind of waiting for 
a plot to come out. And I know that's a stupid thing with a Cronenberg movie. Very rarely does the man give a shit about plot in a meaningful way. But I was kind of like, if I'm not interested in this world, I don't know that I'm going to be able to make it through this film. And I made it through. Um, but I don't know. I just like, it, it feels weird that a movie should be this weird with this many weird performances and this much, you know, calling it gore doesn't even seem right because none of these people seem to have any blood in them. Um, yeah, it doesn't even feel like gore to me. It's it's yeah, it's weirdly bloodless, like, uh, I don't know, like operation kind of thing. And the fact that like and, you know, we can get into the specifics of the world because, I mean, it this does feel like just an excuse to explore like a quote unquote interesting world idea, um, even though I don't know that I find it particularly interesting. Um but like the fact that like people don't feel pain seemingly anymore uh it's just like i don't know i it's just i'm I'm watching it and i'm like there's not a lot here to engage with emotionally or intellectually and i was just kind of uh, never not aware of the fact that you know i had my partner at the distillery who might at some point see what was going on like and, and other movies that i've watched at the distillery I, I've been able to like, you know, get lost him to the point that at some point he'll come over and be like, what the fuck is happening? He'll be like, dude, you know, like even when I was watching, um, what was the movie? The movie with the horses on the island, the wanting mare, you know, that's a, that's a weird movie. That's a movie I never quite got on the level of and engaged with emotionally, but I was like drawn into it the whole time. So that like, I, I would jump up and like say like this movie's so weird like i don't know what's going on but it's got this cool idea and i'm interested to see where it goes and this movie is i was just like oh god like what you know weirdly violent or pornographic image am i gonna have to try to explain <laughs> like beleaguerly as i just sit through this movie well you know i don't know your partner brian but i if you if they know anything about uh the kind of movies you watch i could imagine them turning it around seeing some gruesome image and saying, what is that? And you saying, it's Cronenberg movie. And them saying, oh, okay. And turning yeah, no, back the, around. The concept of Cronenberg would not really relate. But then, you know, I'd have to like say like, oh, you know, he did History of Violence or Eastern Promises. And then he'd probably be like, oh, wow, I really liked those. And it's like, yeah, but this is like nothing <laughs> like that. Like, And that's like a, a good thing about Cronenberg. But it also sometimes makes it really hard to know what you're getting into. You know, like, is this going to be like there's a plot and characters and an interesting story Cronenberg, or is this going to be, you know, naked lunch Cronenberg where it's just kind of like, Oh, you're along for the ride, whatever, you know, is well, it going to be I, a dangerous method Cronenberg where like, does anyone even remember that a dangerous method was a movie he made? <laughs> well, I think there is a sort of a greatest hits album quality to this movie where a lot of the things he has done, in the movie, he's done better elsewhere. I mean, there are there's stuff in this movie that reminds me a lot of Dead Ringers. You know, mm -hmm. surgery is the new sex. Like, that could be a tagline for that movie, too. There's stuff in it that reminds me of Existence. There's the kind of odd undercover cop subplot that doesn't resolve uh, that reminded me of Eastern Promises. And I think maybe that's what we're speaking to. It kind of feels like he was right. He did write this movie, you know, 20, 25 years ago. And I, I have more to say about that, but one one thing right now is that it feels like maybe he put 
these ideas into better movies or he made movies at the time that were the better version of this movie. Yeah. I, and I, I felt a lot of that. Is it, you know, I don't, I don't know. Are we ready to go on spoilers? Can we just say that we're going to start saying things that might spoil this? Cause like, I just don't even, I don't even know how to like talk about this movie without just starting to rattle off sure. some of the weird shit that happens in it. So, uh, yeah, listeners get, guess what? We're getting ready to spoil this. Like it, I felt that through the movie, I was like, Oh, okay. I recognize this from this. I recognize this from this. And then around the time, that he meets a dude in a boatyard <laughs> and it turns out that he's like an undercover guy. I was like, David Cronenberg cannot make a movie with Viggo Mortensen unless he's living a double life. And mm. it turns out that he's actually someone else. It's like you got Eastern promises. He's a cop in history of violence. He's like a former mob guy. It's just, it's just so weird. And I'm just sitting there and it, it's like when I was watching nymphomaniac from Lars von Trier and he just started like openly quoting his old movies. And I was just like, I don't know if I like this. Like sometimes this can be fun. I just like in this movie, it sort of felt to me like he just like had already used these ideas, but was, you know, not willing to let go of them in this older script. Well, that was to me and sorry, I jumped the gun on spoilers that no, I mentioned in that. Um, that was to me the moment I lost my patience a little bit with the movie mm -hmm. because some of the other stuff that felt a little recycled, you know, some of the concepts, I I'm fine with a director returning to the themes that interest them. I mean, that's that's what we want from a guy like Cronenberg. And to get to to Robin's point about this movie being made 20, written 20, 25 years ago, I think that's really cool. I mean, I like directors like, you know, De Palma makes uh, Redacted, which is basically just casualties of war, but set in a different war. And I think that's great because it illuminates things about how little we have changed or what, what we have changed. And I have no problem with that at all, but it has to work within the film. And the subplot about him being an undercover cop is introduced pretty much out of nowhere. It doesn't resolve in any meaningful way. It so could have easily been excised from the film completely. And it would have been a better movie for it. I just, I don't know what it was doing. Really was sort of like when this movie sort of attempts to create, a standard plot, it becomes even less interesting somehow than when it's just kind of like free associating stuff. Nobody is going to leave this movie thinking or talking about the plot. We're going to be talking about the imagery. No. We're going to be talking about the themes. We're going to talk about Cronenberg, but, but I, I agree. I, I think, I think the, the themes though are explored in that plot, right? Like, like you have to get some of that, why is this happening and what is what is happening here like i think one of the interesting things is they mention it kind of halfway through is that there's apparently you know obviously no pain but there's also no disease and so people stopped washing their hands people stopped doing all sorts of things and it just looks like everybody's living in squalor but it's because if you didn't have to clean places i guess people are just like ah fuck it like open windows sure bugs everywhere whatever who cares right because i'm not gonna get sick i'm not gonna i'm not gonna feel any pain and so i feel like that's that's kind of stuff that has to be introduced slowly um it's it's introduced in the background and then it's kind of brought to the fore and and like explicitly stated um but i mean it, 
to the point where some things are still confounding. Like, I still don't understand why he has to have this chair to feed himself. Is it because he just like he's got no sensation whatsoever? Is that is that the idea here? So he can't like swallow anything. Otherwise, he'll like choke and die. They said, so, they said something about him needing to his digestive system was out of balance and uh, like a series of movements that the chair made put him back into balance. So but I think this, speak, this speaks to exactly what you're talking about, which is that this stuff is introduced just to justify the imagery that Cronenberg wants. It reminds me a little bit of uh, that scene in um, Thank You for Smoking when uh-huh. Aaron Eckhart's character is talking to Rob Lowe about how to get cigarettes into the movies and they they want to. They want to put smoking in an outer space movie. And he's like, well, how are we going to do it? It would make the plane blow up and no, yeah. the, the spaceship blow up. And he says, we'll just have a throwaway line that says, oh, thank God we invented the blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of what it feels like in this movie yeah. where they say, oh, we don't have pain anymore. Well, that's good because otherwise the surgery scenes would feel very different if the patients were in complete and total agony all the time. And it's a good thing there's no disease. Otherwise, everybody who got one of these surgeries in a dank basement somewhere with doesn't look very clean at all would be immediately get sick and die afterwards. Yeah. You can exclusively uh. get surgeries in any place that used to be a dog fighting ring. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's, but I think that the problem is that clearly I don't even under, I, like it. I don't know. I don't want to attack the cohesiveness of this world but the world doesn't feel particularly cohesive to me. Like they sort of explain it, but it's like, okay, so pain, the pain threshold, have we like evolved that up or is that a technology thing similar to the infection thing? And so like, but only those two evolutionary things have now allowed like surgery to be like, as, as I think Robin said earlier, like surgery is sex now and all like, but none of that is particularly, interesting in the way that it's done like it seems like it should be harder like it like the thing that makes a lot of like subversive stuff in movies like this that look at the future is is that they are dangerous and is that they are you know uh, the types of things that feel like you're pushing against boundaries but like in this movie they've taken away all the boundaries that can make this subversive so like you almost have you almost your reaction is almost like well yeah why not i guess like who gives a fuck like people are spontaneously creating new organs accidentally you know or like possibly willing them into existence that's a question that's never quite quite answered um you know and like what is it for like we're evolving but the government wants to stop that but like we never really clearly get an idea of why there's like some concept of like, oh, well, you know, you're pushing the bonds of human evolution, but like that doesn't feel like a governmental concern so much as that would be like a religious or like scientific concern. Well, we, we never so really like, find out w- where they are, right? Like, yeah, like there's Greek so, writing, everyone's got different accents, like who knows? So, I mean, it, it may be a small country, right? And so that's that's their concern that you know it doesn't go beyond these borders or something like that you know uh i don't i don't i don't know how far this extends out this could be you know kind of a children of men situation where maybe it's it's secluded or you know not uh maybe it's a worldwide phenomenon i just don't know um but i i do think the most interesting thing that they introduce 
is the idea of these humans instead of feeding on on normal shit which is you know a bowl full of runny eggs uh they instead turn to plastic and i was like ah there we go that's interesting i like that and and the subversion is that the government is like fuck that no and you're like wait what why why would you be against this like we have so much plastic that we can devour like this sounds great that was my and again i don't want to rewrite this movie blah blah blah, whatever (laughs) at the same time when when i realized what was happening i was like oh that's interesting like maybe the government doesn't want people to eat plastic because if you liberate people from having to pay for food like if you're able to turn refuse into food then you've kind of lost one of your aspects of control over them or like maybe the government's making them turn to plastic as a way to like clean up stuff. You know, I mean, I I saw it as a rejection of humanity. What I saw is like, if you, if you say I'm going to reject organic foods or things that are, you know, made by the earth and that we're meant to eat, then you're saying I am, I'm actually trying to reach another plane of of existence. And it seems like to me a refusal, like this fundamental refusal to buy into this new world where we're growing, you know, random organs uh, and, and we're quote unquote evolving. It's almost like instead of, it's almost like the world that Vigo and Caprice inhabit is this pulsatingly biological world, whereas the world that those renegades want is something closer to a synthetic world, or like they want to move towards some kind of, um, uh, not AI per se, but like some kind of more, more, I, 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 they're not robots, but you understand what I'm saying. I, like, I do. And well, I think what is interesting to me is that the world that uh, Caprice and Saul live in, their world is a world of art. And that's yes. what will be taken away from them if yes. he if he eats the purple synthetic candy bar and, and becomes a synthetic person. I mean, that's ultimately his choice at the end of the movie, right? Is do I uh, accept my body being having evolved the way it is and start living this plastic life? Or do I stay here in this imperfect form and continue doing the art that I love. And I think Caprice has that, uh, you know, quite moving. And one of the few really like emotionally moving character moments in the movie is when she is performing the autopsy and she's uh, she's giving that beautiful monologue. Uh, she says, let us not be afraid to map the chaos inside. That, that's really a, an artistic um, uh, thesis almost, you know, for the film, which is, I think, really admiring them and I don't know, I, I interpreted his taking the synthetic candy at the end as a defeat, really. And, and that's why, to me, I, I see the film as being about Cronenberg and about filmmaking, because he is an artist. Cronenberg is an artist uh, and Saul Tenser is an artist. And the choice he has to make is whether to continue with this art or not, whether to push back against the world that he's in through his art and make something beautiful of it or to give all that up. And that's the kind of that's the stuff I was wrestling with when I was watching. So that's interesting. I feel like the food element is an imperfect way to get that idea across just because like, honestly, who gives a fuck what you eat? Like, I don't know. It's like 
I guess the trade-off is that now that he's eating that stuff, he has to keep all these weird organs that keep popping up in his system. I well, guess. I think I thought the idea was that if he ate that stuff, the organs would not pop up in his. No, system. the organs have to be there. Like that's mm. now. So this is the confusion, and this is how I think you know yep. the movie's confused because I thought it was saying like you keep taking these organs out, your body's trying to give you the mechanics that you need to eat the plastic. Oh, you know, yeah, so like that's, I, that's what I was kind of getting. Right. I mean, at least at least to a degree. I mean, Scott Speedman's character very much seems to be convinced that this boy was the first naturally born one that like actually had the mechanics to do this. Right. Um, and he and so so that just like the first Cylon. Yeah, the first Cylon. <laughs> great, great callback. Uh, so say we all. Um, but. You know, I think what's interesting is that Scott Speedman or uh, Vigo is obviously very much older than that little boy. So I don't know what the fuck that would mean. Right. Maybe everybody else is chasing what what he would naturally become. Maybe. I mean, someone had to have the idea to do the surgery. Right. Like like people just didn't fucking do the surgery and be like, now we can eat plastic. Right. Like someone had to have a base model. So I guess so. But I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like you make a good point, but it does seem like Speedman, who, by the way, I thought was really good in this movie. Like he was my favorite yeah, part. Agree. Um, you know, as much as I love Vigo Mortensen being weird and hanging out in a Snuggie while a bunch of people <laughs> fawn over oh, him. What was with that fucking witch dress that he was wearing? Everyone, <laughs> who knows? Everyone else in this Joining the like coven. a vaguely normal person. And he's just like, I'm going to, you know, quietly creep around by being the weirdest motherfucker in the room. Guys, guys, he's a fucking artist. Okay, we don't yeah. question these yeah. people. He's like a genius yeah. artist. The other he can do wear whatever he, he wants. He doesn't want to get mobbed. He doesn't want to get yeah. mobbed on the artists streets. Create their costuming as part of their persona, like anybody else. I mean, it is Correct. definitely a, a creation. It's not just like, oh, I'm the third. I'm. I came out of the womb wearing this these witches robes like no you create a mystique you go to the fucking store like everybody else i think my other issue with this movie is that i don't respect performance artists i like generally like find this type of art to be i knew this was gonna happen (laughs) to be very wearying and so like i can't tell the line between satire and like earnestness in a movie like this with like you transmute pain and something into something else to show us something. And I'm like, right, right. I get it. People who are into this shit talk like assholes. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. Are they being honest right now? Like, is this what I'm supposed to be getting? It's just like it's a it's a hard road to hoe in figuring out what the fuck is happening at any given moment in this movie, because I generally don't like that kind of shit so it's every every time that they did something i was like uh this is the type of nonsense people would like and i was again just like are they making fun of people who are into this kind of stuff or are they saying that it's valid or are they leaving it ambiguous so that you can feel for yourself what it is but before we go too far into that i think that like the concept of what i was saying with regards to like like i didn't really feel like the ending was a, like a tragedy or anything is because he's just fucking eating. Like it doesn't really seem to matter. Like if, if they could, if they, like, you know, if it here's when, when San Junipero, that episode of black, not flag. What am I? Mirror. <laughs> yeah. Black mirror came out. 
everyone was like, oh my God, it's the first really like happy one. Like these two like cute lesbians get to live forever in their digital afterlife. Like this is so uplifting. And I was like, literally the last shot of that was the song Heaven is a Place on Earth playing over the blinking light in the cold, sterile server farm that they live in. The entire point is that they've given up like life and actuality to exist in the cold, heartless mainframe of a corporation. A concept that, for all of its flaws, and it's truly not a good TV show, Upload has really like latched on to. Like that to me is the more interesting vibe of that. Like that is literally, I'm giving up the flesh and the blood and the decay and the mortality for this false heaven. And like, that's, you know, uh, to me, a defeat. It is always a defeat when someone chooses that they want to live in a virtual world. And again, uh, to talk about another thing that seems to understand the terror of that is uh, World of Tomorrow parts one, two, and three, where they like talk about consciousness is being uploaded into cubes. And how every week they upload some movies and books and like one hour is 47 years in it. Um, So yeah, I just like, you know, but so all of that is like, oh, terror, oh, existential, like, you know, the spirit versus the mind and the body versus the soul. Uh, And in this one, it's just like, you want this fucking Wonka bar and then you won't have to like... (laughs) Well, I'm trying to eat your pudding. Like, you know, that's I, just I, not interesting to me. In I, the I think your two points are really connected because he is giving up his art to eat the the Wonka bar. And we should definitely call it the Wonka bar it is for purple. the rest of the podcast. It looks like a chocolate bar. <laughs> but I think what you're saying is you are not invested in his art, not just because you don't like performance art, but because it wasn't clear to you if the movie itself likes his performance art or not and what is the uh, worth of his art except for the fact that it screws don mckeller's life up and makes Kristen stewart strangely horny um i don't think the movie really uh, develops the idea that of, of what he is giving up now for me it, it did work because i was pretty locked into this idea which might just be my own personal idea that this whole thing is 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 a metaphor for uh you know filmmaking and and um you know and Cronenberg you know re- reckoning with the new world of, of film that we live in but I think if you're not on that very specific tip I think they haven't done much to establish what is being sacrificed at the end I want to jump back to your point Brian about performance art because I <laughs> I really loved the idea that all of these crazy, you know, what's the word I'm using? All these crazy evolutions and like biological innovations, whether, you know, they're invented or not. I mean, it seems like that we just sort of randomly started evolving or whatever uh, as humans, but what am I trying to say? I find it really interesting that this film, instead of going down the typical route of like what, how science would react to something like this happening, he actually delves into the art world. You don't see that very often. And I love that, in fact, this becomes performance art. Like this is, yes, I saw the satire in it and I saw like these people are absolutely up their own assholes. And that's kind of what I liked is that it felt, like something that p- 
people would actually glom onto as some kind of, you know, almost like the digital humanities. Like this is the next stage and like the of of how people are going to live and be in this world um as 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 our bio as our lives and bodies change. Like I thought that was really interesting. And it's not that I'm it's I I think there are very few films that actually wrestle with the art world um without purely parroting it. And I think that works here. Like it's it does make fun of performance art, but you actually understand and see why people are really drawn to it. And especially there's this scene where Caprice goes to someone else's art show and she's so moved by these body modifications that somebody's put in their face that she has to do it. And like that actually is very realistic to me. There are people who who want to evolve their bodies forward with science and they and to them it's like becoming part of part of the earth in some ways like i know people who have stuck chips into their bodies like they're so ready to just want to be like the scanned that they, that they are among the first people to really be you know cyborgs to some degree and the people i know who do that are also some of the most soulful beauty like people who are so moved by beauty i mean i'm not one of those people but like yeah, Robin I, sees a sunset and spits in its direction, <laughs> throws it the middle. You know middle what finger. I mean? There are some people who are a little bit like ethereal and they're, you know, they they like to like drink tea on a Sunday and they're like, oh, I'm like in my happy place. I'm so cozy. And then they'll read a fucking poem. And I, I get it. Like that is what some people are into. Um, you know, and yet you those people. read a poem or write a poem? Read or write, like whatever, you know, they'll just be like, oh, wild geese, whatever. Like, no, no, that is a whole poem. (laughs) (laughs) I shan't. Uh, That's a whole vibe. Right. And yet the people I I'm just saying, like, anecdotally, the people I know who are the most interested in becoming this next stage of of human are also some of the people who are most interested in art. And I think that's really, it's a unique dichotomy that I think Cronenberg um, really sets his sights on here. And I don't know if you all are familiar with like Marina Abramovich and Ule and the work they have done, but to me, it seemed like Cronenberg was actively uh, referencing those two. So if you haven't had the opportunity to see the work of Marina Abramovich or Ule, check out YouTube, check out um, the film, um, The Artist is Present, which sort of goes into Marina Abramovich's work. What she does is really, um, you know, it's renegade. Like it's, it is, it's so bizarre that you're like, why is this art? And then you're like, holy shit, like this is really weird. And now I kind of get it. And I'm not saying I'm like, I totally buy into what she does, but she certainly, provocative and i think that's what cronenberg is is getting at here um in terms of like because she uses a lot of violence she uses her own body as part of the art um the way people respond to it like it it's certainly um it's certainly evoking what go ahead i do think what what cronenberg is doing is, is is renegade in similar ways you know i think the casting of Mortensen, Sadu, and Stewart is really interesting. And what he what he does with them is quite interesting because 
you know, these are people who they're, they're like a, per, they're all perfect for Cronenberg because they're beautiful people, all of them, and very comfortable with their bodies, all of them. And yet what Cronenberg does with them is like the opposite of what the rest of Hollywood would like to do with these people, you know, which is just to get their clothes off and make them titillating and, and all that. And, you know, what does he do with them? I mean, he turns Mortensen into this retching, gross human being who's also completely full of himself. And he, uh, with Sidhu, he, uh, she takes her clothes off and he lacerates her body. And Kristen Stewart, he casts her as this buttoned up bureaucratic bookworm who like, maybe this is the place to talk about her performance, but you know, she acts like this uh, sexually repressed, like Woody Allen heroine or something from, from the 80s. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's like incredibly subversive. And another way to me, the movie is is playing with with filmmaking and with with kind of our uh, filmmaking conventions. Yeah, I mean, he turns her to a little fucking nerd. <laughs> Not easy to do. And her name is Timlin. My husband, and I couldn't stop laughing about this. <laughs> I, I think we've just said the word Timlin to each other over and over again for a week. I thought it was Timberland at first. And I was like, I don't understand this, the symbolism here. Timberland. <laughs> I was like, why? You know, well, that was the thing. I was like, why is she named after either A, a boot, B, actual lands <laughs> on boot. which timber is grown, or C, the like, you know, probably like fucking multi-millionaire, multi-platinum winning producer. Like, what's happening? Timberland. And then I, everyone's fucking name in this is weird as shit. And I love that about it. You know, how great. he's not Saul. He's Saul Tensor. Right. He is only ever fully re- referred to by his entire name. And Tensor is a great name for him to have, I guess. Uh, Timlin is great. Uh, what is it? Uh, I'm looking at it now. The boy's name is Brecken. There's Juna. There's Whippet. There's Router and Burst. It's incredible. And Every Caprice. Time Router and Burst show up. I'm like, yes, this movie just got fucking awesome. Are those the like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern ladies? With the drills, yes. Yeah, they are fucking weird. I didn't really know what was going on with them. I, I, I know. Yeah, I them couldn't either. really grasp that. That was like an editing problem. Mm. It feel like something was edited out of the movie that sh- was supposed to have been there. Well, they, first of all, characters. they work for Nuva Life <laughs> Applications or whatever the fuck. I can't even. Oh, that helps. <laughs> the, 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 the place that makes all the weird naked lunch style furniture. Like what is mm. the Like there's life form software or whatever it's called. This is a problem is that I feel like for as great as the human names are, like the the couple of bureaucratic names we get or company names are not really like inspiring a lot in me. Um, And uh, what was I going to say? So, yeah, they show up to like fix stuff and fawn over the technology. And at some point, like sort of act out the first two minutes of an incredibly low budget lesbian porn. And then they fucking murder Scott Speedman. (laughs) Like I don't, which was sort of the most gruesome thing in the movie, in a weird way, like much more gruesome than the actual surgeries. Yeah, yeah, no, because there's fucking blood. Finally, (laughs) they drill into his brain. First of all, he doesn't want it. Uh, They drill into his brain, then they pull the drills out, and there's blood everywhere. And that's like two things that we don't get once in this entire movie: is someone having an emotional reaction to the violation of their body and Mm. blood. Surgery is a new sex, Brian. It's like, I don't know. That's just an unforgettable line because it's so fundamentally dumb. It's also and it's like said so fundamentally stupidly. And yet I'm like, yeah, I could see that being a thing. 
She's for the like, next TikTok generation. Ugh, I, also, yeah. I also feel like it was really um, funny to me when she said that, because I feel like that's the subtext of almost every Cronenberg movie in a way. <laughs> and finally, somebody just said it in like the most well, obvious was way. The thing. I was like, does this does this woman exist just to like scream the subtext out loud? Just like she she walks up and she's like, I, uh, well, first of all, I'm not even going to try to do an impression of whatever the fuck Kristen Stewart's doing in this movie. Um She's like, can I ask like an intimate question? Like, is the surgery sex? And I'm like, why do you have to ask? Clearly, like, this is a bureaucrat who's never been anywhere near art. And then she's like, you know, when you when she was cutting you, I wanted you to be cutting me. And it's like, whoa, sexy. I mean, it was a little little bit. I (laughs) I thought it was Uh, a little bit sexy. I don't think there's anything sexy about an old man uh, laying down in a snuggie. Well, I did think the whole, um, you know, again, this is like she is a young ingenue attracted to like an old, decrepit guy. I felt they were playing with Hollywood convention there as well. I mean, she's been in a Woody Allen movie and not with Woody himself. But I mean, that was what I was thinking of when I was watching this. I'm like, oh, this is like every this is like a play on every Woody Allen movie where there's some ridiculously attractive young woman. And you're thinking, why can she not keep her hands off this old, weird looking guy? Because he's like a he's a famed that's right artist. Every like even the the tattooing of the new organs that apparently goes into the first of all it's funny that they're like the national organ registry isn't a real thing yet it's kind of top secret we don't exist here's a door that has national organ registry written on it um, anyone can get a sign made <laughs> yeah, in like, crumbling Greece you or can't wherever take a video there. of this we don't exist yet. Maybe don't have a public-facing door that has your goddamn <laughs> name on it. In that case, whip it and Timlin. Um, <laughs> it's like a fucking Harry Potter names, the, <laughs> which is to say British. Um, I can't even remember what I was gonna say now. There's something about that. There's something, something about oh, like they said, like the tattoos that they put on all the new doc, new new things, new organs are like inspired by his performance art so apparently like he's a well-known dude i don't even know like what is what's that? weird about that brian that makes perfect sense i don't know yeah. i think i think in some ways we're not asking the total right questions about this movie i mean we can sit here and we can we can point out how ridiculous a lot of it is and it is but you know i think like what robin said at the beginning of our talk here like, you know, walk out of a Marvel movie and come see this movie. And it is so the images are so stimulating and so engaging. And I think the ideas are engaging. There's a slipperiness to the metaphor that I found really delightful. You know, a lot of people consider us to be an environmental parable. I found something else in it. And I think they coexist. And I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool that the movie was written 20 years ago and it's still resonant today. I think that tells us some things as well well yeah and, people have always been obsessed with you know bodies and the, the the future of humanity and what level of altercation goes into whatever i mean like these are timeless i mean I, I just think like the bureaucracy and the crime of it all is like the least interesting way to go about it when you could have like you know like a re- like religious social whatever I agree with that. I think the crime, the crime stuff is, is, is definitely the weakest part of the movie. 
Um, but I do think it resonates. And when you say the crime stuff, I'm sorry, you mean like the, the police the investigation? Yeah, oh, yeah. That yeah, was like, exactly. what the fuck are we watching? I don't even know what the crime is. <laughs> like, what is the, what is the crime? What are the what are the what is the what's illegal that's happening? Is I it, think the sur- the surgeries are illegal. Aren't you think they? the surgeries are illegal? Isn't that why they're happening? If in they those were illegal, catacombs? then it's not like people don't. No, know I think about it's to make it, it sexy. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just again like a bunch of performance art. I almost said losers. Um, people <laughs> looking for the coolest, most gothy way to get their kicks. Like you know, you go to like see a bunch of fire throwers and people who hang on hooks, and you don't want to do it at a convention center. <laughs> you don't want to do it at the Ramada Conference Hall. You want to go to an abandoned butcher factory where there's well, still I, I'm not sure on the floor. and I'm not sure there are convention centers anymore in this world to be clear. I think everything is an abandoned, you know, butcher at this point. Yeah, well that's also true. They didn't seem to have a lot of options. <laughs> I can't I feel I feel like we haven't been nice enough to this movie. I have to say I mean the I crime like the is somebody really murdered her child. <laughs> also that but she's already in jail. <laughs> Was that jail? It just looked like she was working oh, at her no. job. She was not in jail. I thought she was at like a psychiatric thing. Hell I no. She was. Looked like she was working at her laundry job. Well, they do laundry yeah. in prison. Too. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's like the number one job in prison. I that think, was like very ambiguous. Okay. The, the yeah. fact that we have to fucking say that about everything in this movie, I think is a problem. <laughs> or you just don't like poetry. Oh, no, I love poetry. I got Ew, a you're one of those beauty people. I got a volume of Yates sitting right next to me. You know, I am Robin. thinking now, if 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 she were in prison, it'd be a little weird that he was able to just walk in there and talk to her, I'm especially sorry, since especially since so we're saying fucking tenser. <laughs> no, but we're saying he's what he's doing is illicit as well. He wouldn't be able to just go in there. He's you no. Know? But is it like is it is that the crime? Like, is that the crime? I feel like I feel like the removal is cool. I think that it's the keeping it that's the crime. Mm. Right, the, pl- the plastic people are definitely the crime. They're right? the crime yeah, of okay. the future. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think mean, we solved it. Let's just—if <laughs> you thought your child was monstrous, would you kill it? Monstrous? How? Uh, like eating plastic? No, that's not fucking monstrous. That's helpful as fuck. <laughs> that's the thing again this is i thought that it was going to be like oh yeah the government's been like dosing people with uh fucking chemtrails and you, you don't know need logic 5G in, kind of movie. in order to you know get us to eat plastic because it's like the new soylent green it's like oh we're feeding the poor and we're getting rid of our horrifying environmental catastrophes all at once take a bunch of you know poor people out into the ocean to lick up the crude oil from the least like the most recent spill you know or go the opposite direction where you're upset that you can't control them through food shortages and hold them or them and instead they're now able to eat the refuse of society because they are the refuse of society man you know yeah, man. It, it instead it's just like Oh my god, this kid's eating a fucking waste bin. I'm gonna murder it. It's like, why? Why? That's like the the most normal thing anyone does in this fucking movie. <laughs> I don't know. It was like kind of nasty. I, would I mean, he was it. he was eating a 
gar- a perfectly good garbage can. Uh, right. Well, he wasn't eating like the. Re- he, if he went into the recycling bin and just started chowing down, I don't think anyone would. Have Maybe a if she offered him some stuff, she was willing to lose. You know, go trash picking on garbage day. You know. Brian, you're nitpicking this movie so expertly, I have to say. Oh, welcome to Brian. You're putting me in the position of defending it in a very serious way. And I'm going to respond to this uh, criticism by saying this character, the mother of the child, clearly saw her as an extension, saw him as an extension of her. And she was disgusted because he was not like her. It wasn't just that here's a kid who eats plastic. It was like she's divorced. And maybe he's reminding her of her ex-husband because, you know, they are the same. There was a lot of uh, emotional and psychological stuff that went into this besides like, hey, here's a guy who can substitute for my vacuum around the house. (laughs) Yes. Well, I was responding to Robin asking if your kid was a monster, would you kill it? And her monstrousness (laughs) was eats garbage. To which I would respond, that is a child between the ages of one and two and a half anyway. Like, that's just what's happening. What's Uh, the weirdest thing that Cora eats? Um, I mean, now nothing. She eats like normal stuff. I don't even even when she was a child, you know, she would like put everything in her mouth. But that's just how she is a child when she was a baby child. Okay, weird way to put it. Um, She's five. (laughs) Yeah, six any day now. Um, what was I gonna say? I don't like one time she put a battery up her nose. I feel like that's pretty weird, but like not worth murdering her over. Clearly, (laughs) um. She actually brought you know, that up with yeah. me the other day. She was like, remember when I put the battery up my nose and we had to go to the hospital and everyone was wearing masks and then I sneezed it out, but they still made you pay. And I was like, yes, I remember <laughs> literally every beat of that. And she, what a little shit. I love I it. She, but then she was like, why did we have to go to the hospital? Why were they wearing masks? Why did they still make you pay? See, what she's asking the questions that you're asking about this movie. We're not, this is not a place for logic. Yeah, but she, I she had answers. <laughs> <laughs> I will, okay, I will, you know, there's there's ways to like, and this is like, again, almost a more interesting movie would just be little snippets like a mother mm. is so disturbed by like her child having evolved into a trash eater that she murders it, you know? Uh, a father losing the child in that way has to struggle with whether or not he can truly bring on the next generation, you know, or will everyone respond? Like, instead, we get Saul Tenser getting his fucking, you know, glands tattooed before they get ripped out by his sort of lover, which makes Kristen Stewart horny. I don't know. Like, I agree, I agree with you. Actually, I agree with you, Brian. That's a better synopsis than IMDb. That's right. I'll just cut that and put it in. Can we do that? Can we mark that? Okay. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I agree with you that the movie would be better if it were less plotty. Like if it, if he did not explain things that didn't need to be explained and, and maybe trusted uh, the audience a little more, but my only defense to that would be is that is sort of reflected in the themes of the movie as well with this character kind of deciding how much of himself to give to his art or live in this new synthetic world. I see it as, as all sort of part and parcel of the same thing, which makes me willing to forgive its flaws a little more. Like I said in the beginning, it is sort of its imperfections are not a problem for me. They're sort of part of the appeal in this way. Right. And like I'm, I was watching the movie and I, I remember thinking like I, I am bored, but I understand pretty much basically what's going on. 
and I can see everything clearly and it doesn't look too cheap. And like, that's a victory for late Cronenberg. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like that was more it than looked a little think. cheap, but I didn't there were times it. when it looked cheap. Like when they, when they were like scanning up the Sark unit mm. short for sarcophagus. Um, and they showed like the arms with the little flashlights, you know, that was some like PS three level. Like, <laughs> otherwise, you know, I like, I like a, a good old fashioned Cronenberg gaunt skeletal sleeping pod, you know, that's pretty awesome. I mean, but, but doesn't it, to me, it endears the film to me even more that is a little bit cheap that he's making a dystopian movie with major movie stars for much less money than you would expect that type of movie to be made for. And you can see the seams a little bit. And you do get the sense that there are real people who created these things and are operating these things. And given the themes of the movie, that was really like moving to me, actually, as opposed. And I think a lot of when I watch a movie like this, it's like, well, what am I comparing this to? And when I'm deciding like how to review it. And I compare it to like a big, stupid superhero movie in some ways. Uh, because because of those things I just mentioned, like it is dealing with this dystopian world, and my God, a movie that feels real and tactile, like the cheapness is almost an asset to me mm. because it does feel tactile and it feels personal. And this is, you know, when I watch a Cronenberg movie, there's no way for it to not for me to not think about Cronenberg. So feeling personal, feeling real, feeling, feeling tactile, that was all part of the appeal. Yeah, I, I, it did not feel plasticky, ironically. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Well, yeah, I guess because they're eating the plastic. I was about to. Well, because yeah, there's plastic so many goddamn organs. The main like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was. I think one of the reasons that it does feel a little. I don't want to say behind the times, but at least at the very least, retro to me is because it tangles with the idea of like what it means to be in a human body, and like we have. I mean, these are issues that like we just see over and over again in, in lots of different areas of popular culture and, and scholarship and not just, you know, Cronenberg. Um, and I, I want to bring up the Cylons again, because one of the really interesting aspects of Battlestar Galactica is that the Cylons, who are synthetic, you know, beings who are robots, also have organs and they bleed and they're pretty much indistinguishable from you know, humans, except for the fact that they are born from, they are, uh, their origins are from, from, you know, synthetic means they give birth. I mean, they're, I mean, and that's kind of, but that's like the crazy new thing where they're like, Oh my God, our God has gifted us with the ability. Like, you know, it's like, um, honestly, like a Blade Runner 2049, like the whole plot of that is that one of these fucking things had a baby and that is not supposed to happen. Right. You know? Right. And and one of these things evolved the ability to ingest plastic. I don't know. I just it it feels none of it feels like particularly none of the concepts of human evolution feel particularly new to me. They feel like their ideas that are sort of from the Y2K era. But mm-hmm. I enjoy the fact that it that it seems to reject questions of like social media while also commenting on social media at the same time. Like you don't really see people engaging in internet-y behavior as far mm-hmm. as I remember. And yet the behaviors they do engage in are like those classic uh, voyeuristic 
uh, I'm going to watch this thing. I'm going to obsess over it. I'm going to like emulate it kind of thing. I, it, it kind of straddles the line for me. Like it feels true. both old and new. I think that if you look at it as an eco parable, I think that might be true as well. Like there was a time when plastic was like the biggest issue and like plastic is still a devastating issue. It's just not one people talk about as much anymore. Well, now we talk about, about microplastics, microplastics. And really we talk about, you know, climate change. Like that's like the one that has sucked up all the oxygen in the room, so to speak. Uh, but, <laughs> but I uh, agree with you. Like we're the nanobots. We were supposed to be freaking over those. Oh yeah, there well, was a wanna... whole uh, Michael Crichton book about that, wasn't there? Yeah, there was like the what is what was it? Oh, there's like um, there was like an idea. Prey, like, I think. Yeah the the book was called Prey, but like there was like a concept in science called like the gray goo, or like something oh. where it was like you get nanobots that self replicate by ripping apart other stuff, and like if they expand exponentially, because for every one they make, they can make you know so many more. It was like, how long would it take yeah. to just like turn the entire world into? The- yeah, there was a whole thing about that. But now uh, we all nano. We all glossed glossed over uh, Robin's saying she knows real cyborgs in real life. Like I don't, I don't know if everybody else I is familiar with that concept to make about it. But then she started talking about poems and tea, and I felt like I was coming really close to that indicting was- myself. Um, <laughs> oh, you already did. You're a beauty person, and I don't trust you anymore. Why don't you just go like? He's great. Why don't you go um, smell something delicious? But I wouldn't want. But okay. But I'm a I'm a beauty person who's like, you got the body, you got you fucking handle it. You know, like don't do a facelift. Oh, know. that's like the Catholic to me. Oh, really? Plastic surgery even is the Catholic thing? No, no, no. The opposite. Like you are in the body that God provided you. Why would you mess with it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Little Bible boy. It doesn't even feel like a Bible thing. It just feels like a, this is this is who you are. Like, why would you lie to the world? Yeah, you're like, so you're so like you're like the fish. that's like what's water? You're just so ensconced in it. <laughs> like you to you because it is so normal to you. You don't see that it it is actually like a cultural concept as opposed to just like regular life. Plastic the idea surgery. That, a body mod or like mm. re- or anything related to like well i, I know i know people body. that yeah i know people that feel that way about like tattoos and stuff like that they're just like why why would you I, do I that think to your body tattoos i think it's I like can uh, sort of understand a little bit because like you know as a writer i'm like yeah no indelible ink on a on the perfect medium to carry throughout your entire life. Like there's a little bit of romanticism there for tattoos. What, what stuff, perfect but. medium? Wrinkles happen, man. <laughs> right. But then that becomes, uh, Bill, but then that becomes part of the story. Yeah. It's like when you have a really beautiful journal and you take it with you all the time. And so there's like water stains and cuts on the cover. Oh, like, Jesus Christ. That is. You really are one of the beauty people. You. I am. You know, what, what doesn't beauty. wrinkle your internal organs do not wrinkle. You could uh, get your tattoos there. Your brain. is <laughs> full of wrinkles. Um, Tattoo other on a spleen. <laughs> other. Not <laughs> on your appendix. Get the word tattooed. Not totally necessary. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm a beauty person, hundred percent. And it is it like it's funny because like Robin, you said like I know a bunch of people who put chips in their bodies, and I was no, like, I didn't say a bunch. I know like a couple of people who are either interested in doing that or plan to do that. When okay, you made it or who have like, already done it. Okay, I know you made people it sound who like every other day a friend of mine walks up and is like, check out my chip. <laughs> I do know at least one person who is like that. Yes. 
who what already has the chip. I don't even know about has this the chip, yes. technology. What kind of chip are we talking about? Is it like an RFID thing? It's like, um, I don't know that much about it, but it like has her identification information on it. And maybe, I don't know if it includes credit card, but like, it's supposed to be kind of like Apple wallet, except that oh. it's like in your bod. Or like what we do to dogs, sort of. Yeah. Kind of, it's yeah. It's like the AC kennel club thing that I have for my dog. Um, I also know people who are just very interested in body mod and not just like, I'm going to get a piercing and call myself cool. I mean, like, uh, you know what they call like dermal piercing. Mm-hmm. So you actually mm-hmm. have like bars inside of your body and, and all sorts of things. Well, like I had that. a girlfriend or like Leia C. Do who, who put uh, cashews in her forehead. <laughs> yeah. But people do that stuff all the time. They, they literally, yeah, the guy who's turned himself into a crocodile. There's a guy who's turned himself into an alien. There's the person turning themselves into a cat. Yeah. You can also uh. um, bifurcate your tongue to have yep. a, you know, like a snake like tongue. You can, I don't know, like make your, you can give yourself elf ears. I mean, people do that stuff. I've seen those things. I don't know anybody who's ever done it. And right now I feel like there's three squares on this call and one cool person. And it's the cool person is definitely not me. The cool Wait, person who's the cool person? You are, Robin. <laughs> what, me? Oh, yeah. Just Thank because you. she knows people who put chips in their body? She knows at least one cyborg. That's cool okay, but I me. knew like a guy I'm about to be a cyborg. Hooks, I'm so excited. You know? He knows a toaster. <laughs> Cannot wait. I'm about to have titanium put into my jaw. Does that make me a, a cyborg? Because I'm pretty uh, sure. You, so you're going to be Baron Underbite from uh, fucking the, what, not the Adventure Boys, the Venture Brothers. I don't watch that. Okay. Well, never mind. I withdraw my <laughs> allusion. Wait. What was I going to say? So it's funny because like yesterday or the day before I was talking to my family and I said something about like this one friend of mine who is a professional billiards player. And then I said, and this other friend of mine who's a professional billiards player. And then today, uh, Arthur at the distillery also mentioned that he used to play billiards professionally. And I was like, (laughs) I know more professional billiard players than I I feel like most, almost anyone who's not a professional billiards player knows. And I don't know what that says about me. They're not connected. I've met them all in completely different places I was like, I'm just the kind of guy who has a bunch of professional billiards players as friends. And Robin is apparently the type of person who has a bunch of cyborgs as friends. I, I know one cyborg and I know other people who are interested in becoming Longing cyborgs. Longing to be cyborgs. Yeah, that's the name of their memoir. Hopeful cyborgs. A cy- cyborgian aspirant. What you need to ask cyborg them. curious? You need to ask them <laughs> if they dream of electric Cy-curious. sheep. Yeah. All right. I'm psychurious. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Bill, you haven't even been talking for an hour and a half. What is wrong with you? That's Wait, okay. can we talk about like the performances here? Because we talked. Yeah. There was a lot mentioned about Kristen Stewart, who seems to be the talk of this movie, and I don't quite get it. Like, yeah, no, she's not very good. She's interesting. It's fine. It's, like, it's interesting. Like, she's yeah. making a choice in this movie, like yes. nobody else is doing. I think that's yeah. why she's being talked about so much. But. But it's really Leia Sadu that just blows me away. I it's really probably for now my favorite female performance of of the films I've seen this year or 2022 film. And I can't even put my finger on why. She's just so present in the movie. And she's so interesting. Like just as somebody who is invested in art, somebody who's a caretaker, somebody who's like sexual to some degree like it's very unclear if she and Saul are life partners or or artist partners or a little bit of both like 
she, I don't know. She's just so much more interesting to me than Saul. Yeah, I think she's 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 a she's a very still kind of character. I present is a good word for it because you know she is interested in doing more to herself. Uh, the cashews in the forehead uh, remark summed up well, I think. <laughs> but she's not like out of control, obsessive about it like Kristen mm-hmm. Stewart is. Like mm-hmm. Kristen Stewart, who actually doesn't end up doing anything to herself outside of making out with Viggo Mortensen for like three seconds. Yeah, until so it's like I, I'm not good at. The- <laughs> I know what he meant when he sex. said the old sex, but it, it almost like made him sound like like a down home. <laughs> on the farm. I'm not good at the old sex. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that it was weird. Um, but no, I agree with you. I think in a way she is like the center of the movie because she is uh, very convicted, but open minded at the same time. Like she's just a very sort of relatable entry point for us. I want to say she's very earth mother in this movie, Mm. which is funny because there's not a lot of mothering going on really, but there's something very nurturing, nourishing about her. I mean, there's something very, very mothering going on in this film. It's, it's people need this feeling to happen to them. And other people are, are like caregivers, like, like cutting into their body so they can feel some sort of pain or, or feel some kind of sensation like that. That to me is like it's, it's going above and beyond. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of like the the mother lifting the car off, off of the child or something like I'd, that. I'd it's, cut any one of you motherfuckers if you asked me to. Okay. Interesting. Well, um, I'm thinking about specifically the mother that is like the Medea type who just slaughters her children or her, her child. The Medea? Uh, I don't remember that in the Medea films. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> What's, I mean. I don't know that, what you're referring to now. The Medea I'm lost. Film? Are you kidding me? No, I know oh. what you are referring to. I don't know what oh, you're Robin not is referring classics? to. I'd love to know if any of us have seen those movies. That would be an interesting. Are you making fun of my pronunciation of of something that is thousands of years old? Because I'm just y'all. I was just making a joke because I that's what I do on this podcast. Bill is the one who's never seen or heard of classical Medea. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Like I, oh. I don't know how to make make that more obvious. Like I don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're talking about. That's a little. Oh, I what thought I you were said. making fun of me for mispronouncing no. it or something. Oh. uh... Brian, I, I nominate you. You, the beauty person. To well, I always have to this. do it. Because you make it interesting. I, you know how long it's been since I've read any Euripides? Uh, it, so she's like, uh, Bill, <laughs> you're killing me. Bill, didn't you go to private school? Hell yeah. I hated reading those books. Okay. Oh. Um, the play. Okay. I don't even. I can't remember. It's been so long. Medea's like furious, wants revenge on someone, and accidentally ends up murdering her own children. Like that's she wants it, revenge right? on her ex-husband for being a dickhole and leaving her. And it's like Jason, right? Like of the Argonauts or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, yeah, she basically she's. Is it the Argonauts? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, basically, that's, that, that's like a Harry Harry ha- Harryhausen or whatever, like movie. I bet you it's a stop stop motion animation. This sounds really familiar, and yet I think I'm almost positive there is. He fights skeletons at some point. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there is. 
Jason and the Argonauts, 1963. <laughs> Let's go. The the reference to Medea is not, or Medea, sorry, Brian, is not a one-to-one, you know, it's not like a revenge thing per se, but it is so rare to have a, an archetype or a, a stock character mother who murders her children or kills her child without it becoming a Medea reference. Like, it's just, that's what it is. Well, and you're saying Leia Sadu is the Medea, but there is an actual mother who. No, I'm talking about child. Brecken's kid. I'm talking oh, about Brecken's yeah. kid. Okay. Or mother. Um, yeah. And then, and then they, the moral quandary of the movie is do we violate the body of mm-hmm. a dead child mm-hmm. to push forward a political agenda? Is that it's, it? It's do they care shit. about that? I don't think that that matters to them. I think they're I worried think about. I think they did. I think they did. No, they could give a fuck about ripping this kid open. I well, Leia Sadu definitely took issue with it, but I don't know if it was because of the political stuff. She said that she that the child could not consent, and that was that was her issue with it. Yeah. So there, there goes Brian's point about how she she is a mother in this movie. Who's a mother? Uh, Leah Sadu is like a mother uh, metaphor. I never said that she was a mother metaphor. No, I'm saying. Oh, I meant to say Bill. Did I? Not oh, say Bill? yes, you said Brian's. Sorry, two bees, whatever. Two bees. Well, I, th- I two bees. That is the question. That is a book Bill didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> but Romeo. Uh... <laughs> He was oh, right when he said God. we should end the podcast. <laughs> he burned himself anyway. Yes. <laughs> I also called Hamlet a book, so shame on me. Too funny. Um, so it made me think, and now I feel a little bit smarter. Oh, okay. Hey. That's great for you. I'm so excited that the movie made you think, and now you feel smarter. I don't know. It, I like I I don't want to take anything away from anyone. You're gonna yuck my yum. I no, I would never kink shame. I know that's like the third worst thing you can do on the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a, uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't care for this movie, and I'm, I, I am appreciating the way that you all seem to be striving to care for it in a way and like give it points for doing, I guess, some stuff. At one point, I think, uh, Noah, you said it's like at least got more going on than a Marvel movie, which is like at least a pile of shit has more going on than a piece of glass, I guess. Like, you know, but I wouldn't want to eat either of them. Like, not really. You know? And that that is why you don't like a Cronenberg movie, because you would not like to eat a piece of glass. Yes. Or I, shit. I did watch rewatch Thor Ragnarok last night and rewatch Crimes of the Future this morning. So my point of comparison might work only for me and not for anyone else. <laughs> Erica had that on earlier today. Like, oh, this movie's delightful. Wait, what movie? Thor Ragnarok. Oh, okay. I've never I seen that. Know. Yeah, I haven't either. It's a uh, it's exactly the opposite of crimes in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so it's people putting organs into people. In a, yes. <laughs> I wish that would have made it a little more interesting. But it um, does have uh, Jeff Goldblum. He is speaking of delightful. He is absolutely delightful in that movie. Um, but I agree with Robin. I, I like this movie. I don't know if I, it made me smarter, but 
I like thinking about it. I've been thinking about it a lot since I saw it and I watched it again this morning. I've been thinking about it all day too. I mean, I find the imagery really arresting and I find the themes really arresting and that is the stuff that sticks with me. I guess. Yeah. I find the themes. Do you find arresting? Like what's a, what's a moment that is stuck with you? And if you say dude covered in ears, I'm going to not covered in ears. It's the Giger furniture. (laughs) Yeah. It's the furniture. That just, it, it just, again, it kept reminding me of like naked lunch and existence. Like it didn't, none of this felt like, like real. It just, or new or interesting. It was just like, oh, right. Like he must've just had that in his coat closet and he needed to make room for more shoes. And so he was like, <laughs> I need to make a movie to justify still owning this thing. Who wants to? I don't know, man. I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a man of simple pleasures. As uh, the late Philip Baker Hall once said in a movie, um, I if you tell me you've got a movie in which the idea of people performing surgeries that feel like sex uh, in machines in catacombs amongst the ruins of ancient Greece. And then there's also people who eat plastic to survive and your hero has to decide which of those he's going to do for the rest of his life. Like I'm in, that's all I need. I, I don't need no, the rest of it to me, make sense. The, I'm the good. The answer is immediately just eat the fucking plastic and go do something else with your life. I don't know. Wouldn't that make you question your fundamental nature? And you're done that's with your relationship. Idea. Him and Caprice are going to be over if he eats that plastic. His they have no, career is over. His whole life. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't, I don't know how any of these motherfuckers make any money. Right, they don't <laughs> appear to be getting like ticket sales. You know, it's. I don't know. I just honestly maybe like, they're sponsored by sharp knives. Yeah, by Life <laughs> Invest Tech or whatever the shit the company name is. That would have been good if she stopped just before the surgery after her little monologue and did a little ad read. I would. Oh, yeah, you got to do the ad read. Subscribe. Today's surgery is brought to you by Casper Mattress. You know, Intergold Saul. Do you? Do you have like when you're sitting in your breakfast chair? You know, do you need? Uh, do you want like a perfectly portioned meal delivered to your door? Call hello, flesh. Uh, just like, like watching is. him trying to eat in that chair that's like wriggling. And I'm like having stabbing pains in my uterus. And I was just like, what is fucking happening right now? Like, wouldn't it be great if you just could have, you know, laid, laid down in a, in a Sark unit and just had everything cut out. No, I don't want a hysterectomy. <laughs> I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I meant like literally every organ, visceral. but yeah, let's focus on that one. That makes more sense. Well, that was um, the stab and pains one. But okay, so, but here's the, like, it doesn't feel like sex to get cut open. It's just symbolically sex, right? The violation of. I don't know. I think because they didn't feel pain, that the surgeries actually felt kind of good. But that they don't the say that you can feel pleasure. They just they don't they say certainly, you can't. Yeah, they pleasure. certainly. more. They certainly look like they are in. Like in pleasure, that's that's the reading that I got. Robin, I mean, you can't just shout something in French and win an argument. Okay, (laughs) this isn't Hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Um, no, I just like well that again. This is one of those things where like the movie maybe could have spent like a half second more to be like, yeah, when you cut me open, it feels like 
getting my dick sucked. Why? Like, Why? <laughs> because, Why, yeah, Brian? Why does it need that? Yeah. I feel like you do, because he's sitting there and he seems nonplussed, just completely nonchalant by the entire thing. He's just like, yep. It probably hurts, but it's a reminder that he I, is human. They have, mm. but so, so you believe, not that it is, it is objectively pleasurable but that the act of finally feeling some level of pain is just nice yeah that, isn't that the literally the whole point of the movie okay well uh, so what i heard is like oh our pain has been dulled so i just thought they it was like you know when you like get a local anesthetic and the doctor's like you're gonna feel some pressure no oh my god well, that's I've never been under. I do. I got stitches last week. I remember yeah. that. Sensation. So you get because like there's no pain, but you're still gonna feel in the surrounding area the fact that they're moving your flesh around. So they isn't the idea of pain like aren't they sort of being loose about that? I'm not saying it's totally a metaphor, but I got the sense that they live in this anesthetized. Thank you. Fuck off. Uh, culture <laughs> in general. So like they are indulged. They uh don't have to work that hard for what they have like it's not just that they can't feel pain quote unquote it's that they don't There's get no the struggle. pleasures yeah they don't have the opportunity to to feel pleasure from hard work so one of um, the ways that they this is what i took away from it one of the ways that they uh you know it's like you pinch yourself there's like it's painful but it's like a little bit pleasurable some people are into into pain. Yeah, this nice. is not a new idea. It's like pain and pleasure are are can exactly. be intermingled sometimes. So it just see, seems sort see of every like... other Cronenberg movie ever made for more examples of this. <laughs> My code word is pineapple. So glad that we know that. Your what word? <laughs> His safe word is pineapple. Oh, I heard co-word. He said code word, but I think he meant safe oh. word. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. So if it, we ever hear Bill scream from. something other than Hamilton, like for instance pineapple, we will know to end the podcast immediately. <laughs> Bringing me an immense amount of pain. Pineapple, let's get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. I just—it's all right. Yeah, I don't know. We could, you know, I, we could keep nitpicking. I don't. I, I I'm loving the fact we, that you well, could, you could keep nitpicking. <laughs> But, you know, I'm glad that some people took some stuff from this because I watched this movie and finished it and I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, don't really know what we're going to have to talk about. But I'm glad that there's ideas there. I'm glad. That, okay. I, I will. I will save my comment. Enjoy next week. What? What is next week? Is it whatever? There's nothing next week. Whatever you're doing the week after when I'm not here, because there's very. I'm curious to, to hear the episode on that one. On which one? Mad God. Are we actually doing it? Doesn't matter. We'll talk about it offline. I have no okay. idea what we landed on. There was a lot of conversation happening about what we're doing, um, which is also a way to tell the folks listening at home, we're not sure what we're going to be doing next. We're not sure when we're going to be doing it next. We may take time off for the July 4th holiday um, because I, I need a vacation from this vacation. <laughs> I don't. If you want to do a White God episode over July 4th, a film about a revolution, it would make some sense. I'm here for that. We should do a white god, mad god mashup mm. and just talk about both of them. On mad the white. <laughs> yes, Robin. Otherwise known as this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, do not try to erase my Mexican heritage 
Uh, I believe, Bill, you have some Cuban in you. Cuban and Mexican, baby. Fucking, yeah, so Robin, why don't you, honky, get the fuck out of here with your mm. mad white comment? Um, I don't know. That's it. Do we have any? Do we have any final thoughts on this movie? What do we think of like the score? Like we didn't talk about that at all. God damn it! <laughs> no I one. I think I, I remember really liking it, but I can't can't remember it in my mind. But I remember thinking like, oh damn, like this is going on a list. Like my oh, own that's list. intense because my res- my response to this score is my response to basically everything in this movie which was i feel like i've heard this before and this doesn't sound that great um all right well yes any i, I will open the floor Noah, do you have any final thoughts you want to get out before we wrap up the podcast tonight uh painterly compositions <laughs> you just threw that one in at the end and i don't have any time to, <laughs> I thought, to fight back against i it. I thought it was beautiful. This movie, I thought it looked, it was much more painterly looking than, than a lot of Cronenberg's movies are. Um, uh, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it looked nice. I thought it looked good. It looked classical to me. Viggo Mortensen is often, like the music is mm-hmm. often reclined and in a corner of the frame. So I agree. <laughs> in his um, good movie. That's the last thing I have to say about it. That is the final word on crimes of the future from guest Noah could tell um that's uh, that's it so if you have thoughts that you'd like to express to us on crimes of the future go to patreon.com slash film state show to become a part of our patreon and uh, get access to our slack channel have we had a conversation about that in there someone must have done a spoiler thing on it and said their thoughts i'm looking forward I to think a little in. bit here and there cool i will have to go look that up i'm always interested to see what our our patrons think um, about these things that we talk about. Uh, other than that, uh, you can also follow us on Twitter or email us podcast at filmstage.com with your thoughts. And uh, don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi, where you can watch White God, not Mad God, but White God. And um, yeah, you can get a free 30 day trial move by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. So that's that. Uh, Noah, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we hope that you've had fun here today. This was an absolute blast. And, um, oh, my dog is starting to growl at me. So I'm glad we're in the podcast now. <laughs> it's more fun than getting your spleen cut out. Um, <laughs> but only just so. Um, so, yeah. Uh, would you like to tell uh, the fine people at home where you can be found online? Yes. Uh, I am found online at uh, twitter.com. Username Noah Gittell. That is uh, G-I-T-T-E-L-L. Nice. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, but I don't tweet much. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram, and you can find me mixing it up in the Slack channel. All right. Robin Barr. Um, my Twitter is just my name at Robin Barr, R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd, and uh, I sometimes write for The Hollywood Reporter. Awesome. As for myself, um, personally, BrianJRowan.com. Uh, find me on all the social medias at Brian J. Rowan. And of course, you can find my film writing and uh, every episode of this year's podcast over at thefilmstage.com. And if you'd like to learn more about my distillery, go to schmidtspirits.com. So that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us and tune in whenever we post our next episode. Good.